This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. As always, Sam, words Good. fail me as I try to express my appreciation for you. Well, I know that in your <laughs> heart of hearts, you are... Deep down in my heart. Deep in <laughs> the recesses of yourself. Uh, working with my son-in-law can be a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Few are so lucky. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, speaking of lucky, how are those uh, sabers? Well, you know, this, this is a—they are making a push for the playoffs this time for the first time in a long, long time, and they are more exciting than they have been in a long time. So, wow. their hope—you uh, know—I've I've always eternal. had hope, but this this time, hope is based at least a little bit more on facts than some years. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, what what becomes of that? But, oh yeah, you know. it'll go down to the, the the wire, I suspect. But um, but we're we're hoping, <laughs> hoping in faith. Always hoping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, cheering for the Sabers is a is a lesson in faith and, and hope and, and all those. <laughs> That's things. what's I'm... made me the man of faith I am today. <laughs> well, more could be said about that, but we'll we'll leave it there for now. Um, if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, we've been going through uh, how Jesus uh, walked with his disciples mm-hmm. and what that means for us today. We are now in another part of that. We've been just looking, taking a deep dive into Luke chapter 9. And uh, last time we, we saw the, the famous Mount of Transfiguration and, and how uh, Peter famously um, sort of puts his foot in his mouth once again and uh, uh, one of his spiritual gifts <laughs> yeah it is it is and I suspect it's it's uh, many of ours as well <laughs> um, and so it's nice to see how Jesus deals with Peter and we know that 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 same Jesus deals with us in, in the same amount of grace uh, and uh, a correction when needed uh, so why don't you take us away as uh, we continue to explore how Jesus uh, deals with his disciples. Yeah, well, we looked at uh, Luke 9, verses 28 to 36 last time, and uh, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's awesome, awesome uh, experience. And, uh, and then God kind of descends in a cloud upon the Mount and basically tells uh, Peter and James and John, quit talking and, and start listening. You're, you're standing in the presence of the Son of God. And, uh, and so then when the cloud kind of lifts, uh, Moses, Elijah, they're gone, and there's just Jesus there. And as we saw last time, I think sometimes uh, God is just kind of wanting to help us focus in on Jesus, not on everybody else. And, uh, and so when you pick it up in verse 37 of Luke 9, it says the next day. So they, they had that mountaintop experience. And of course, Jesus took three disciples with him on that mountain, but he has the other nine still working. And of course, we have no idea what is going on through those disciples' minds. If, if you were one of the nine that was not taken on the mountaintop experience, you know, what, how yeah. uh, <clears throat> we know that they were kind of competitive. They tended to compare with one another and all think they were the greatest. And, uh, and so I just wonder... You know, it didn't happen quite like this, but if Jesus had said something like, okay, I'm going to, 
Peter, James, John, come on, we're going to go up and meet with Moses and Elijah and have an encounter with God the Father. Uh, not so fast, Thomas, uh, Philip, <laughs> Andrew, you, you guys aren't going. Uh, uh, Judas, you stay here. Yeah, uh, we, we, we've got some work for you to do. Yeah. Um, if you were sent off into a, 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 a sort of a no-name village to do some more mission work, well, some of your friends, some of the disciples got to meet Moses and Elijah. That would have been would perhaps have seemed fair. And so I can imagine if you're one of the nine and you get, you don't get to go with Jesus, you, you assume wherever Jesus is going is where the real action is going to be taking place. Yeah. And you got left behind. And I don't know what you, you know, I, I suppose if that was me, just knowing my own flesh, um, I, I suppose I would want to kind of prove that I should have been one of the three that was taken. Yeah. Uh, Big mistake, Jesus. Yeah. You definitely should have had me with Yeah, me. you, you know. Uh, and so I, I suppose I would have been an overachiever at whatever it is I was told to do. You know, if, I, if I'm told, no, you just go in that village, Richard, uh, I suppose I would have tried to evangelize every person in the village. When he came back, I mean, he'd look at, wow, like you're a, Richard, you are like a, you know, a real champion here. I, I, I've got to reconsider who I take with me next time, you know? So <laughs> I don't know what these guys were thinking, right. but they go into this village. And so it says, uh, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And I don't know if that ever got tired, uh, tiring for Jesus, but every time he sort of appears again, anywhere near civilization, a large crowd is meeting him. And everybody is crying out and wanting, you know, there's always something going on and people need healing or the, or the enemies shouting out questions or just things going on, just, just immersed with people. And he's walking on foot. He's coming into villages where he, he might not know anyone. Uh, it's not like he can just, you know, he's got a room booked at the, at the Hilton hotel that he just needs to be whisked off to, to get some privacy. It's, he's just at the mercy oftentimes of of the crowds and so a large crowd met him and just then a man from the crowd cried out teacher i beg you to look at my son because he's my only child uh, and of course in the midst you know that there's lots of people probably shouting out to jesus every time he's near a crowd everybody wanted his attention but somehow this man cries out in such a way that he's heard above the din and uh, you always it's always you can't always take it to, to the bank, but it is always interesting to me. There's usually two different words used uh, to address Jesus. One is teacher, because he is a he's a rabbi, and the other is master or lord. And we saw last time that uh, you know Jesus or Peter will will often call Jesus master or lord or something mm -hmm. like that, which which implies divinity. It, it's a it's a more grandiose term than simply teacher. Uh, uh, you know, you and I've had teachers, we never confuse them with God. Uh, but when you say master, that's a much more revered term. And so, so this man is crying out teacher. So that right away, you, you're not quite sure what is, how much faith he has, mm -hmm. how does he see Jesus? But he, he cries out and, uh, and he says, he's my only child. Now, there, uh, Mark 9 and Matthew 17, have the, they both carry the same story. But I think Luke's the only one that makes it clear this is his only child. And so we're going to find out that this child is cruelly tormented by an evil spirit. And if you could imagine, 
you only have one child and that child is basically demon possessed. Uh, uh, how, how horrific that would be awful. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, my, my son, Mike, uh, has a little, uh, little four year old, no, one year old daughter, uh, Ellie. And, uh, she uh, had a fever recently, and just and it it led to a febrile seizure, and I just don't. I mean, it's just few things more pitiful than a little baby yeah. seizing, you know, having a convulsions because of a temperature. Uh, but imagine having an evil spirit and convulsing because an evil spirit is occupying your child. Like that would have been just unimaginable. Well, the utter desperation. That, that father must be experiencing. Yeah, like you, you know, as a father, like, and you've been there. You've had a daughter that had that very experience a couple of times. Yeah, uh, and and you, you, you're ready to do anything, right? Like you, you call nine one one. You get an ambulance. You'll race like a maniac to the emergency room. Whatever you have to do to try to get care for your mm-hmm. child. And so you know that this father has done everything. It doesn't say uh, explicitly, but you know that he's done everything that he possibly can. It's his only child. He doesn't want to lose the only child he has. Well, and Uh, I think it's telling, too, that his is the voice that's heard. Yeah. I mean, there's a crowd there assuming everyone there has needs and is probably expressing those needs to Jesus, but this is the one that gets recorded and, and, or you know heard. sometimes it's it's not always true that the loudest voice is the one that is most important but but sometimes you, you, I, you just wonder if Jesus didn't kind of listen in the to the to the din of the crowd and try to discern who's most desperate here who's mm-hmm. more most urgent uh you know uh, and and clearly this man stands out the way he cried and he said, a, a spirit seizes him. Suddenly he shrieks and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, severely bruising him. It scarcely ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Um, and I'll tell you what, that's, that's uh, I mean, that just kind of stops you. It's, it's jarring. Uh, suddenly the spirit comes upon this child and he shrieks. I, if you've ever, and you and I have heard children who shrieked. <laughs> yes, that I is have. A, that I is a jarring, <laughs> jarring experience. Now, sometimes <laughs> they shriek because they're just angry. They're having a temper tantrum. But imagine that some kind of evil spirit comes upon your child and they're yeah. shrieking because of that. Can you imagine the nightmare of that? It throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth. Now, some a lot of these this uh, uh, this reaction can sound a lot like epilepsy. In fact, I think uh, in the King James, I think it even says that how, that he that it might have been an epileptic or at least acted like that. And uh, that doesn't mean that he he didn't have an evil spirit, but it's it's uh, expressing himself in a very similar way to an epileptic seizure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, a lot of the similar kinds of things. And uh, he falls to the ground and it, it severely bruises him. And so imagine the desperation for him of having this child and apparently he has a child with him. So, but, but then uh, what you, you sort of get the impression that what happened is word gets out that uh, the miracle worker, Jesus, his nine of his disciples have entered their village and, and they've heard about this Jesus and they've assumed that if you're a disciple of Jesus, that you have the same power that he has. And of course, 
when we, we began this study, in verse 1, it says that Jesus called these disciples to him and he gave them power and authority. And that's going to be very important here because this whole chapter starts out with Jesus giving them power and authority over all demons and to cure healed diseases. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, you assume that when they encounter this boy, whether it's a disease or it's a demon, either way, they, they're covered. They, they have the power and authority. But, but uh, in a puzzling kind of way, he says, I begged your disciples to drive it out. He didn't ask politely. He didn't negotiate, ask what they would charge uh, to, to you know, provide a, a minor exorcism. He says he, he begged them. Uh, you know that he's prepared to like give whatever he has to do, to do whatever he has to do. Uh, but then those devastating words, but they couldn't. They couldn't do it. And of course, that, that raises a huge question. And that question gets answered more in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but you, you have to ask, so why couldn't they? Why, where did their power go? We, we know that Jesus gave them the power, so why is it that they don't have it? And you might ask that about Christians in general. They have the Spirit of God within them. So if, if you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, you have all the power of God available to you. So why are there so many powerless Christians? Hmm. Why are there so many Christians who can't kick a bad habit? who can't have victory over sin, who can't resist temptation, and yet they've got the power of the Spirit of God within them. Uh, if, if you've got that kind of power, why are you not using it? Why is it not available to you? Uh, and that's, a, that's an important question, I think, for Christians to ask, is um, why am I powerless? Uh, you know, why am I such a weak Christian? Um, and so verse 41 is one of the most devastating verses, one of the most devastating rebukes ever to come out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus replied, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? I'll tell you what, that's for Jesus to say that. Yeah. Unbelieving and perverse generation. Um, how long do I have to be with you? How long do I have to put up with you? Um, it sounds like something I would have to tell my three-year-old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, 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 there may be moments where you just don't even want to be around your three-year-old, but uh, for Jesus to say that, uh, yeah. I, how much longer do I have to be around you? Boy, I tell you what. And so, of course, because these are just, these are words, we're not getting the video of this. And right. so we don't know the tone. We're, we're not, and we're not sure who he's looking at when he says it, right? Like he's just, he's just been talked to by the father. So is he, is he telling the father, you're an unbelieving generation? Is he looking at the crowd in general that uh, maybe there's a bunch of them that don't, that they think that the man's wasting his time, that there's nothing Jesus can do? Or, the last thing that he heard was, we, I begged your disciples to help me, and they could not. They tried, and they could not. They failed. So could it be that he's looking at his nine disciples uh, who failed, even though Jesus had given them all the power and authority over all demons and to cure all diseases, and then they failed? Yeah. I, you, you sort of get this image of... <laughs> you know, the father there with his son looking at Jesus and Jesus looking at the the father and maybe off over his shoulder, there's the nine sort of kind of 
not trying to make eye contact. Yeah. You know, you, you have to be. And, and of course, one of the things I've always looked at with this is so why is it that um, the father is the one who has to tell the story to Jesus? Like, yeah. Um, I, you know, what I wish had happened, I mean, what I wish had happened is that the disciples had just cast out the evil spirit. But, but next to that, I, I wish that they had at least not given up, that they had at least, um, you know, maybe for, they did everything that they normally did, it, but it, it wasn't working. And so I wish that they had like stayed with that man and said, look, our, our teacher, uh, Jesus is, is going to be returning soon. Just stay with us because we, we don't go anywhere because we know Jesus can cure this boy. And before this day is done, your, your little boy is going to be made well. But, um, and you, you wish that as soon as Jesus got to the outskirts, Andrew or someone came running up and saying, Jesus, we, boy, we've got a really tough case here. We've been waiting, saving for you. We really, before you do anything else here, can you come with us here? We've told the father that, that, that you know, you can help him. That would have been at least a noble, you know, way of handling things. But the disciples are are conspicuously quiet. Mm. They, they don't say anything. And so you almost get the sense that the disciples are quite eager to get moving. You know, like the, you, you almost like when Jesus returns, the nine are like have all their bags packed and they're saying, hey, Jesus, where, where are we going now? We uh we, we did what you said. We, we preached the gospel. And it's kind of a tough crowd here. There's some folks here that, you know, we're not very responsive to our ministry, but, you know, we, we, we did the best we could. Uh, and you, you sort of get the sense that the disciples, they gave up. I mean, when it says they could not cast uh, this evil spirit out, we don't know quite what happened there, but you get the impression that all nine gave up all night i don't know if all nine tried to cast out the spirit yeah or maybe a couple of them did and then the rest thought better of it I, uh oh this looks kind of rough uh no wonder jesus left us behind and didn't take us on the mountain if peter yeah you, was here he would have probably you know jumped in there and done something but uh but it's like they've they've all failed and it, and they've given up they're, they're not running up to jesus uh, tenaciously saying, "We're not giving up until we get that evil spirit out of that boy." Um, they're they're quiet, and so it may just well be that I mean Jesus' rebuke may may apply to several of the people in that crowd, but I I tend to think that he is including those nine disciples uh, because the Bible says, "To whom much has been given." Much is expected, much is required. And so nobody had been given more than those disciples. The, the, the first verse or two there tells us that, that Jesus had given them everything necessary. And, you know, I, I think that's important for us as leaders to realize that, that whenever God gives us an assignment, he always gives us the power and authority necessary to be successful. So if God called you to, to be the pastor of a difficult church, maybe to be uh, a, a revitalization pastor where the church needs major revitalization or transitioning. Maybe, uh, you know, there's been some conflict and you felt like God called you in there to bring healing and reconciliation and unity. Uh, maybe it's a church that has not been reaching its community and you feel like God really wanted you to come in there and help it become outward focused instead of inward focused. 
Um, but you're a year or so in and people aren't responding and now you're ready to quit. You're ready to say, we could, I, I guess I could not do yeah, that either. I tried. And just like those disciples, mm-hmm. I, I did the best I could and it wasn't enough. Uh, and as we've often said on this podcast, uh, people don't need the best you can do. They need the best God can do. And sometimes our best just isn't going to be enough. Um, we're going to need to give them God's best. And so, uh, but when you quit, when you walk away, there've been times where I've wanted to say, but, but I mean, when you came here, didn't you feel like God wanted to do a specific thing through your life and ministry? Yeah. Well, I thought that, but it didn't, I couldn't do it. I, it didn't happen. Um, and you, you know, you, you have to kind of wrestle with that a little bit because, um, if it really is, I mean, if God really had that assignment for you, uh, you know that he also would give you all the power and authority required for you to succeed. And so just like these disciples, you have to say, well, so then why was there no power? Why, why did things not happen the way I, I thought that God wanted them to? And, um, and maybe there are times where God would have a rebuke for us to say, unbelieving perverse generation. In fact, what's interesting is that in the gospel of of Matthew chapter 17, in that gospel near the end, it says that the disciples came to Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast it out? And he says, because of your little faith. He says, because if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So Jesus just nails it and says, you didn't believe. And, but then he goes on and he says, but this, this kind only comes with prayer and fasting. And so in one sense, Matthew 17, Jesus kind of says, this was an unusually difficult case. And I'm, I'm kind of comforted by that, the fact that even Jesus acknowledges that some problems are more difficult than others because um, we've all experienced that. Some things aren't that hard to overcome. And yeah. then there are some that just eat our lunch. And, um, but Jesus also says it's, that you just didn't believe enough. If you'd had more faith, you, you, you would have cast out this evil spirit. And what's interesting is when you read the Gospel of Mark, and in, in chapter 9 there, um, the Father says, you know, well, I do believe, but help me where I don't believe. And so you get the sense that in, in Mark, the focus is a little bit more on the Father. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you believed... Uh, if you believed enough, your your son would have been set free too. So, you know, if the disciples had had more faith, the boy would have been set free. In Mark, it seems to indicate if the father had had more faith, the boy would have been set free. And so, you know, what that says to me is, um, so who around my life is not receiving all that God intends for them because I don't believe? Mm. Interestingly, it never says the boy didn't believe enough. The, the, it wasn't the child. He was perhaps younger, but the, the child never gets blamed for the evil spirit. The, the, the disciples, the father are both told, if you'd believe more, uh, this person could have been set free. And so I'll tell you, Sam, as, as a father and, you know, look at those two beautiful little girls of yours, you want to believe, right? right. <laughs> you want to believe God that God can do in those little girls' lives everything that he intends. And there may be times where your your daughters aren't quite so sure that God is powerful enough to help them with certain problems they face, but you want to believe 
Yeah. You, you want your, their father needs to believe whether they always do or not. And so, uh, so then it says that, uh, he said to the father, he said, bring your son here. So the, obviously the boy is, is there, uh, with the father. And it says, as the boy was still approaching, uh, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. And you kind of wonder why the demon does that, you know, like, because typically when demons come face to face with Jesus, they're, they're terrified, they're scared to death. And so you don't know, like, I suppose if I was a demon, I'd want to kind of keep a low profile when I was around Jesus. Uh, yeah. I don't want to make him mad because he would just send me to the abyss. But, uh, but th- this demon, it's, it's almost like a last gasp uh, effort to e- exercise his power over this uh, little boy knocks him to the down, threw him into severe convulsions. It's almost as if the demon is is working overtime uh, to do the, you know, to have as much control over this little boy as he possibly can. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, uh, not intimidating. The, I, I, don't, I don't know how you'd feel. I, I suppose I'd be feeling a little awkward if some uh, person with an evil spirit suddenly is convulsing at my feet. Uh, violently, uh, that would be pretty intimidating. But you don't see Jesus intimidated in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Uh, this big show of force that the demon is uh, exercising in this boy's life, uh, and it just says Jesus rebuke. He just rebukes the demon, and uh, and he and, and it goes on to say, and then he healed the boy, um, and uh, gave him back to his father. And they were all astonished at the greatness of God. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that, um, uh, that um, Jesus could so quickly overcome something that nine of his disciples could not. And, uh, and he gives this boy back and he's set free. And interestingly, verse 43 just says, uh, and they were all astonished at the greatness of God. Uh, so what's interesting is Jesus does this miracle, but they're, they're all talking about God. And, and by that, you, you tend to, usually you interpret that to mean God the Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so how can Jesus do a miracle in such a way that instead of everybody talking about Jesus, they're talking about his Father? And just kind of something to point out to as we, uh, as we wrap up today is that uh, when you go down to verse 46, uh, it's interesting because this is, so this is after the fact. This is after Jesus has done this. Then it says an argument started among them about who was the greatest of them. And to me, that just always struck me so ironic hmm. uh, because the, nine of the disciples have just had the most miserable failure in their entire ministry, discipleship careers. Uh, they've just been rebuked and called an unbelieving and perverse generation. And then just shortly after that, they're probably just walking down the road from that incident and they're arguing about who's the greatest. Now, maybe the three disciples are, have been kind of poking fun at the other nine and saying, well, no wonder you got left behind. Uh, you know, look yeah. at you. You couldn't even set a little boy free. Uh, but if, if, the, if the nine had known the, the rest of the story, they might have said, yeah, but you guys were sleeping. Or Peter, you know, God had to make, tell you to be quiet. So like, don't you be telling us that you're a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and so what you, what you find is 
you know, you, you, when you ask yourself, where, where did the power go? They were given power and authority to, to help people like this little boy, and then all of a sudden they don't have the power and authority. And what, but then the next thing coming out of their mouth is pride. You realize they're, they're filled with pride. They're arguing about who's the greatest. And what I have seen in the Bible is pride and power can't coexist. So if mm. you've got pride in your life, you're not going to have the power of God in your life. And where pride begins to creep in, the power of God exits out the back door. And so you just, you have to think, because these disciples had cast out evil spirits before. It wasn't like they'd never done that before. But somewhere, maybe along the way, as they'd experienced some success, they began to become prideful. They began to just presume that any time they dealt with an evil spirit, it would be easy. And so that pride, uh, they didn't even see it creeping in until all of a sudden they realized the power was gone. And um, kind of like Samson, he became quite proud of the fact that he could whoop up on anybody until one day that pride led him to act as if that was somehow his own power. It wasn't dependent upon God until the power left him, the spirit left him, and suddenly he's powerless. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it can happen to ministers, to leaders, to churches, where they become proud of their nice facility, their nice programming, uh, their great preaching. And, and so they, they continue perhaps to go through the motions, but you just, it dawns on you, but there's no power anymore. And so it's always a, a sobering moment to realize um, it, it almost cost this little boy his freedom because some disciples of Jesus let pride creep into their life. Mm -hmm. and uh and the power was gone uh and it that can certainly happen in our lives as well yeah well it's a sobering reminder and uh again thank you for just laying that out for us and and applying it to our lives as, as leaders that uh, it's a great reminder that pride and, and power cannot coexist so thank you and until next time Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackv.org.